every year um, we do we do the life of some saint in Christian history at this time of year because the first of November is All Saints Day. I hope you don't let that time slip on your calendar. I, I know we all have a tendency to participate. Some of us on uh, the 31st and uh, getting all kinds of treats, but we miss usually the reason that date even came about in its history uh, is because of what November the 1st is, All Saints Day. This is um, All Saints Day is a day set aside by the church to look at the life of people in Christian history who've had a massive impact on Christian history. And for the past several years, if you guys have been around long enough, you know that we have done that. We've observed All Saints Day by doing a, a biography of somebody in history. Uh, some of those we've done in the past, I, I've only lost count now, and it's not been that many, but we've done George Mueller, my hero. Uh, and if any of you know me well, you know Mueller is my hero. Um, we've, we've talked about um, St. Patrick. Um, this year we're going to talk about David Brainerd. Um, David Brainerd, now I want to go ahead and say this. I'm not a politically correct dude, okay? And so um, I know the proper term or the politically correct way to say it in the okay and probably the best way to say it is uh, Native American. But in all the literature that I read in this, mostly done, written by dead people, um, they use the word Indian. So if that's offensive to you, I'm sorry. Um, so that's, I'm just using the, the language of the folks who wrote it, okay? Is that all right? Can we agree to go forward knowing that they didn't have political correctness back in the 1700s? Is that okay? All right. Very good. Uh, online, if you want to go um, and pray, by the way, in the spirit of prayer that I can make it um, through. My, my voice is much better than it was last week, but I haven't had time to rest my voice this week. And so it's just sort of been slowly uh, getting better. God's good. Um, Online, there's a link in the sermons link on our webpage. You can go there to notes. Um, and on that notes link, uh, it's a blog. Uh, the full-blown version of my notes are there for you with historical references, some resources for you to check out. The main work uh, is The Life of David Brainerd, edited by Norman Pettit, uh, and uh, actually from the hand of Jonathan Edwards. Um, uh Resource called wholesomewords.com or wholesomewords.org. Um, but I've got a hyperlink there that you can go and click on and go there. And there's like 10 different biographical references on the life of David Brainerd that you can tap into and see where all this stuff comes from. Some really good online resources for the life of David Brainerd. David Brainerd um, was born April 20th, 1718. Uh, he was born in Haddam, Connecticut. And by the way, if you're wondering, okay, are you going to open your Bible and read today? No, I'm not. Um, and, and just trust that I believe when we do biographies of saints and Christian history, that we are looking at the living out of lives that have been influenced by Scripture, okay? That's one of the reasons we do this, is these aren't people who've been influenced by the world system and operate their lives in such a fashion uh, as to do anything other than glorify God. And as a result, their lives have been... Uh, living testimony to the fact that the Scriptures are being lived out in them today. So we're not doing an exegesis of a text. In the spirit of uh, All Saints Day, we're looking at the life of David Brainerd. And there are going to be some applications which you have those in a handout in front of you now. He was born April 20th, 1718, birthplace, Adam, Connecticut. Give you a little uh, glimpse of uh, the history here uh, of, of who was alive. Um, some notable Christian leaders who were young men. Uh, and uh, children when David Brainerd was born. Jonathan Edwards was 14 years old when he was born. John Wesley was also 14 years old. Benjamin Franklin was 12. Uh, George Whitfield, one of my one of my also personal favorites, uh, an extemporaneous preacher who could stand in a public place with thousands present and no need of a sound system because they didn't have it then. But nonetheless, no sound system, nothing to help preach to thousands extemporaneously on whatever topic was brought up using the Scriptures. Um, good Calvinist evangelist, loved George Whitfield, was three years old. Um, another example here of some historical setting when George Washington was born... David Brainerd was 14 years old. So you get a little sense of, of some history here uh, in the life of David Brainerd. Um, David Brainerd would live through some amazing movements in our country's history spiritually. 
um, the movements of the Great Awakening in the 1730s and the 1740s. And if you've never studied the Great Awakenings in North America, you ought to. Because it's a beautiful time in the history of the United States where God moved by His Spirit to save literally thousands and the preaching of His Word. And I think anyone who has actually studied or looked at the Great Awakenings in our nation's history, uh, you have a longing to see the Lord move like that again. And if you've never read about the Great Awakening, you have no concept of what I'm talking about, so I'm sorry. Please read. Um, and you will get a passion to preach the Gospel to the lost and pray that God moves by His Spirit to save them. Uh, David Brainerd died of what you read in some of these biographical references. He died of consumption. We would later term that tuberculosis, or the medical field would call it tuberculosis. He died of tuberculosis at Jonathan Edwards' house on October 9th, 1747. Um, now, if you do your math, you'll note that he's born in 1718, died 1747. Uh, and, and you will put that together and discover he lived 29 years on this earth. Uh, Brainerd had some hard years emotionally growing up. Uh, his father, Hezekiah, uh, was a Connecticut legislator. Uh, he died when David was only nine years old. Um, when David was a little bit older, uh, his mother passed away uh, when he was 14. Hezekiah's father was a very pious Puritan man, uh, operated a strict home. They observed days of private fasting for their spiritual welfare as a family. Um, his mother, Dorothy, brought a little boy into their home from a previous marriage. So there was a total of 12 folks in the house, 10 children and two parents. And so a very large family. Um, again, David's mother died when he was 14 years of age. So basically, by the time he was 14, his parents were both gone. David's family suffered from a history of early deaths and, and some deep, Issues of depression. Uh, his brother, uh, Nehemiah, died at the age of, 30, age of 32. His brother, Israel, died at 23. Uh, his sister, Jerusha, died at 34. And then David died at the age of 29. Again, David lost both of his parents very early in life. And that seemed um, to play a role in him slipping into a dark battle with depression. He records in his diary... Um, this this uh, entry, I was, I think, from my youth, something sober and inclined rather to melancholy rather than the other extreme. So from the very earliest point in his life, he recorded how he was given over to bouts of depression and being melancholy, as he would use in the 1700s language, from a very early age. Um, after his mother died, he moved in with his sister, Jerusha. At the age of 19, he inherited a farm. And uh, he tried his hand at farming for a year and discovered he didn't like farming very much. And uh, he wasn't cut out for farming. Had a great desire for a liberal arts education. And so he gave up farming and he moved back uh, to where he had come from the farm. He inherited with the desire to go to school. After that farming uh, bout and discovering he wasn't cut out for planting and reaping, he moved back to East Haddam where he started preparation to enter Yale. He was 20 years old. Now, he made a commitment while on the farm that he would enter the ministry. And keep in mind at this point, though, uh, David Brainerd had not yet been converted to the faith. Okay? And so, here he is on this farm, failing at farming, not enjoying farming, making a commitment to enter the ministry and to go to Yale. And he had not yet been converted by the gospel. Because he had had a Puritan upbringing. So he, under, he understood this concept of the faith. And I liken this time in history very much to our time. Where there's a sense of Christianity. There's a sense of, of what it means to be a Christian. Or at least this concept of Christianity. We, we know the name Christ. We know about the church. But this complete lack of power. Um, this complete lack of a movement on people's hearts to change lives. And so he had this concept of I'm a Christian. This concept of, of entering ministry, doing ministry, because he was raised in a Puritan home, but while all the time never having been converted by the gospel. And so, he has had a Puritan upbringing, uh, and described his religion as, these are his words, careful and serious, but not having any true grace. So that year he moved back, age of 20. And the year he moved back while on the farm, he had read through his Bible twice. Uh, and he was fighting with God on some doctrinal levels. Uh, he had noticed that he was given over to legalism. Um, 
He uh, had rebelled against the idea of inherited sin, which we talked about several weeks back in our, in our systematic theology. Um, he rebelled against the idea of the sovereignty of God. Uh, and he didn't like the idea that there was nothing he could do to earn any standing of favor with God. So these are some issues he was wrestling with God on as he had read through his Bible. And on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday, July 12, 1739, I'm going to read you a, a lengthy quote here. Um, the event happened. All right? He says, All of my good frames were but self-righteousness, not bottomed on a desire for the glory of God. There was no more goodness in my praying than there would be in my paddling with my hands in the water because my prayers were not performed from any true love or regard to God. I never once prayed for the glory of God. I never once intended His honor and glory. I never once acted for God in all my devotions. I used to charge them with sin because of wanderings and vain thoughts, and not because I ever had any regard in them to the glory of God. And one day as he was trying to pray, here's the rather lengthy quote I want to read for you from page 138 through 140 of his, uh, of his diary. He says, I was walking in a dark, fit grave. You can imagine... His fits and his bouts with depression. I was walking in a thick, a dark, thick grave. An unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. It was a new inward apprehension or view that I had had of God. Such as I had never had before, nor anything that I had had the least remembrance of it. So that I stood still and wondered and admired. I had now no particular apprehension of any one person of the Trinity, either the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit, but it appeared to be divine glory and splendor that I had then beheld. And my soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable to see such a God, such a glorious divine being. And I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that He should be God over all forever and ever. My soul was so captivated and delighted with the excellency, the loveliness and the greatness and other perfections of God that I was even swallowed up in Him, at least to the degree that I had no thought, as I remember at first, about my own salvation or scarce that there was such a creature as I. Thus the Lord, I trust, brought me to a hearty desire to exalt Him, to set Him on the throne and to see His See, first His kingdom, principally and ultimately, to aim at His honor and glory as the King and Sovereign of the universe, which is the foundation of the religion of Jesus. I felt myself in a new world. And there are probably many of you today who've, who've had the experience, like myself, of possibly praying a prayer, um, walking some kind of aisle, and, and, and just sort of maybe filling out a card, and it was useless and meaningless. And at some point in history, God has interrupted your life with a similar event where He warmed you to the idea of Jesus. And He transformed your heart in a way that signing a card could never do. And I love reading that account in Brainerd's life because it so much speaks to me of my own walk with God and how God mercifully took me when I was not looking for Him and transformed my life. And I'm thankful for stories like this because it lets me know that, that, uh, that God is good and gracious and kind to have intercepted my life in, in such a like fashion and maybe many of you as well. I want you to notice in his words, however, he says something here uh, is the foundation of the religion of Jesus. Did you catch that? He said, principally and ultimately, to aim at his honor and glory as the king and sovereign of the universe, which we talked about last week. It's one of the things I love about the life of Brainerd. Brainerd's goal wasn't missions. Although we do a lot of missions, and we've talked about why we do missions. Missions are the means to a greater end. And that greater end is the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And notice he said that. And he noticed that his heart was so changed, he wasn't even thinking about his own salvation. But he had then apprehended the glory and majesty of Christ. And his salvation was a great byproduct of this beautiful encounter. And uh, that's beautiful, beautiful wording. Um, uh, this would be the aim of his missionary work to the Indians, the honor of Jesus Christ. That, that was his whole goal. Um, this was a result of his conversion, and it would be the very aim of David Brainerd's ministry. Um, two months after his conversion, he prepared to enter Yale in order to prepare for the ministry. Now, the story of David Brainerd entering Yale is beautiful because he says some funny stuff um, that gets him in trouble and gets him kicked out of Yale. Uh, Yale was hard for Brainerd. Uh, he had to deal with hazing. Uh, yes, they hazed uh, back in the 1700s. Uh, the spiritual climate was dark. Uh, this would be the foundation of the rumblings of the Great Awakenings. His studies were difficult. 
as a young freshman entering uh, this education, health crises were multiple. Remember, he had the onset of tuberculosis already starting at this point. Uh, he had measles that year. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, seven years after his entering here would uh, be when tuberculosis would claim his life. So the onset of multiple health issues. Uh, this spiritual climate is what was going to get uh, Brainerd in trouble at Yale. Uh, the spiritual climate was one of stagnation, very much a sense of religion without any sense of power or life to it. Um, men like George Whitfield, uh, one of the guys I mentioned already, good Calvinist evangelist um, who had been speaking at Yale, uh, was on the front end of this work of the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of these students. So the faculty wasn't very excited about this move. And so the faculty invited Jonathan Edwards to come and preach in hopes that he would sort of squelch some of the fervor of the students. But Edwards' sermon, some of you are laughing because you know exactly what happened as a result of that. It backfired on them. Edwards also being a part of the Great Awakenings. Edwards' sermon, he would preach at that one particular encounter, would be in distinguishing the moves, or distinguishing moves of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it would be the initial study on Edwards' part of a great work, one of his greatest works in history called Of Religious Affections, whereby Edwards looks at historically and biblically how God moves in history and helps us gain a sense of how to discern a proper move of the Spirit of God. And uh, this preaching that he had uh, come to Yale to do didn't squelch the students, but encouraged the fire of the students. The sermon's title was actually called The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. Edwards argued that what was happening was a real move of the Spirit of God, thus encouraging the students on. Uh, the morning of Edwards' sermon, I love how God in history providentially works things the way He does. The morning of that sermon, the college had adopted a policy <laughs> that said that if any student of this college shall directly or indirectly <laughs> say that the rector... Either or the trustees or tutors are hypocrites, carnal, or unconverted men. He shall, for the first offense, make a public confession in the hall. And for the second offense, be expelled. So you can see the rumblings of where Brainerd was going. Um, well, um, <laughs> Brainerd was uh, in the crowd listening to Edward's talk. And uh, Brainerd acted... Uh, for your note, was at the top of his class academically. He didn't get kicked out because he didn't succeed. He was at the top of his class. Uh, but in his third year, he was expelled for saying of a, a tutor named Chauncey Whittlesley <laughs> that he has no more grace than a chair. He also stated about the rector, he wondered why he did not drop down dead for finding students for their evangelical zeal. So such statements got Brainerd kicked out of Yale. Tried to get back in. Others fought in his stead to try to get him reinstated, but to no avail. Uh, I think it's important to note that this expulsion from Yale, though, although at the hands of a careless word spoken, were used by God to put him in the place where his journal thoughts would affect missions history. You know, it's interesting to note that we could argue about Brainerd's rightness or wrongness in making the statements that he said. But I find it very beautiful that God, being the author of history and providentially working in the affairs of men, was sovereign over the statement of a careless word, so that this man's expulsion and his work among the Indians would lead to journal thoughts that would affect missions history to this very day. And so you never know what deed you do intentionally or unintentionally is being used by God to change the world. So just be encouraged by that truth. So live with all your might for the glory of God. And even if you make mistakes along the way, our Father is working out His salvation plan and working for our good. So often we get, we get um, paralyzed by the fear of making mistakes or the fear of doing something. <coughs> that's going to sound good on the Internet. Of doing something that's not right. But I think it's important to note that through Brainerd's life, although... You could argue that he shouldn't have said what he said. God was working in history to change many lives. So don't be afraid of failing. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. The God of history is working in and through us, His people, to accomplish His ends. Such so a good little summary there of his time at Yale. Uh, David Brainerd's ministry. Uh, in 1742, Brainerd was licensed to preach 
by a group of ministers that were sympathetic to the Great Awakening. They had gathered the title New Lights. That was what they were branded. Uh, a guy named Jonathan Dickinson was a Presbyterian pastor. Tried to get uh, Brandon reinstated to Yale, but that wasn't successful. And so upon that failure, he suggested that he become a missionary to the Indians. On November 25th, 1742, Brainerd was declared fit for service um, to, as a missionary to the Indians by the commissioners of the Society in Scotland for Propagating Christian Knowledge. So Brainerd spent the winter working for a church in Long Island in preparation of entering the wilderness in the spring. Uh, his first assignment was to the Housatonic Indians, 20 miles northwest of Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And he arrived April 1st, 1743, and preached for one year using an interpreter and trying to learn language. Uh, in his work, he was able to start a school for Indian children and translate some of the Psalms. Uh, he was later reassigned to go to the Indians along the Delaware River in Pennsylvania. And on May 1, 1744, he left uh, Conomic and settled in the forks of the Delaware River. Uh, and at the end of the month, he went to work in Newark, New Jersey. He was ordained by the Presbytery on June 11, 1744. And he continued his work there at the Forks of Delaware River for one year. And on June 19, 1745, he made his first preaching tour to the Indians at Crosswick on New Jersey. And this is where he would have his most fruitful ministry. Um, this was a place where God moved with amazing power and brought about the salvation of many, many, many in his kingdom. Within the year, there were 130 persons in the growing body of the church that was established there. Uh, the whole community of Christians there uh, that was growing moved from Cross Weekson to Cranberry on May 17, in May 1746 to have their own land and their own village. Uh, Brainerd stayed with these Indians until he was too sick to minister to them anymore. Um, and in, over, in November 1746, Brainerd left Cranberry. Uh, to spend four months trying to get well in Elizabethtown at the home of Jonathan Dickinson. Uh, on March 20th, 1747, he made one last visit to his friends, his Indian friends. Uh, then he rode to the house of Jonathan Edwards in Northampton, Massachusetts, May 28, 1747. Uh, he made one trip into Boston that summer and returned to Edwards' house, where he would die of tuberculosis in Edwards' house on October 9, 1747. Uh, David Brainerd lived 29 years, and only eight of those years were as a follower of Jesus Christ, and only four of those years were spent as a missionary. Brainerd established schools among the Indians. He saw the church emerge from these Indian nations and grow. David Brainerd was a recipient of the supernatural work of God as God moved among the Indians. Um, the Lord used some of the supernatural work to testify to this ministry of the gospel among the Indians. A guy named F.W. Borum recalls this story. It's a great story. You can find it on that, that link uh, that's on the, uh, on the notes that you can go and get online that I've put there for you. He says, but when the braves drew closer to Brainerd's tent, they saw the pale face on his knees. And as he prayed, suddenly a rattlesnake slipped to his side, lifted up its ugly head to strike, flicked its forked tongue almost in his face, and then without any apparent reason glided swiftly away into the brushwood. The great spirit is with the pale face, the Indians said, and thus they accorded him a prophet's welcome. Um, neat story. Um, lots of things I could say about that, but I need to move on. It's just a neat story of, of God moving uh, among the Indians. A very good question is this. Um, how is it that this man's short life, how is it this man's short time as a Christian, and even more, how is this man's short life as a missionary had the impact that it has? Um, one way you can note is Jonathan Edwards published his diaries as the life of Brainerd. It's worth getting and reading. Um, Another way to note is this, uh, and this is a quote by John Piper. He says, Brainerd's life is a vivid, powerful testimony to the truth that God can and does use weak, sick, discouraged, beat down, lonely, struggling saints who cry to Him day and night to accomplish amazing things for His glory. How does God take someone whose life and ministry was so short 
and do such great things is because God delights in taking the weak and doing the miraculous. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God takes the weak to despise the strong. He chooses the foolish to despise the wise. And so, it's important to note that God is able to take the smallest amount of time and do amazing things with it. David's brain, David Brainerd's life has impacted such men as William Carey. William Carey regarded the diaries of David Brainerd as sacred text. He's one of our good Baptist missionaries. David Livingston regarded David Brainerd's life as important to his missionary endeavor. Even in modern times, Jim Elliott, um, from the United States to tribes in South America, uh, was an avid reader of the life of David Brainerd. Uh, I would say of David Brainerd, his life, as I love to read biographies, has been an effect on my life. Uh, every time I read these guys, I can almost feel this this sort of freight train barreling down on my life. Because as I read the lives of these great saints, I'm encouraged in one hand, and the other hand I feel convicted. Because as I read about what they have done, not by their own effort, but by the good grace of God, I sense and I have a tendency to look at my own life and think, wow. You need to up your game, Jolly. And so as I read these guys' lives, um, they affect me and move me to do and attempt greater things for the kingdom of God. So I have fear for you, and this is the paper you have in front of you. What can we learn from the life of David Brainerd? Uh, I have for you six uh, beautiful things there uh, for you to note. I'm going to try to highlight some of them. Um, Brainerd teaches us to fight the fight of the faith well in spite of our ailments. Uh, He has this entry in his diary, May 1744. He rode several hours in the rain through the howling wilderness, although I was so disordered in body that little or nothing but blood came from me. He says, In the afternoon my pain increased exceedingly and was obliged to betake myself to bed, was sometime almost bereaved with the exercise of my reason by the extremity of the pain. Edwards makes a comment the week before he died, He told me it was impossible for any to conceive of the distress he felt in his breast. He manifested much concern lest he should dishonor God by impatience under his extreme agony, which was such that he said the thought of enduring it one minute longer was almost insupportable. You know, some things we learned from the life of Brainerd is we count our ailments as reminders that we need the grace of God to sustain us. You know, Brainerd taught us to fight well and his living in spite of our ailments. Many of you come into this room today and there are things that chronically battle against you. You walked in here today and maybe it's a chronic illness. Maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe it's a mental illness. Maybe there's something that fights against you. But as you walk in here, I pray that you're encouraged by the life of Brainerd that we can fight well in spite of the difficulty and the ailments that, that come against us. Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians twelve nine that this thorn in his flesh was there. And that he needed the grace of God to sustain him. And God's response to Paul was, I will not remove it, but my grace will be sufficient for you. We can count our ailments as having a divine purpose beyond the immediate. You know, the things that beset us have divine purposes. They're not accidents to us people. God does not make accidents. God does not drop the ball. God does not have His back turned and then all of a sudden get alerted by the hosts of heaven as to what is going on. Tuberculosis was not an accident in the life of David Brainerd. My broken back almost two years ago is not an accident. God takes history and He works them for His glory. And one of the great ways God receives glory is when He takes broken saints and their perseverance through difficulty accomplishes great things. Because it's testimony to the fact that it is not us, but God working in us. And so whatever you walked in here today, be encouraged by the life of David Brainerd. That we can fight the fight of faith well in spite of our ailments. Amen? That we don't have to have full health to get things done. That the lie of the prosperity teachers today, that if you're sick, you're out of God's will, is completely a teaching of the enemy. God gets great glory when sick people glorify Christ. Amen? And so if you walked in today and there are life circumstances beating down on you, physical ailments that slow you down, know that it is not to the surprise of God, 
but to the great glory of Christ to take you and use you in spite of that. And David Brainerd's life teaches us that. Um, Brainerd teaches us that how we live is as important as what we do. You've heard me say this before and I want to say it again. Great things are not necessarily always accomplished by preachers. Okay? They're accomplished by people who love Jesus Christ and follow Him come what may. I would dare say that David Brainerd's accomplishments in ministry are not grand when you compare them to other people in history. I had the privilege of going Friday up to Tryon High School to talk to the football team. And I walked in the gym, and lo and behold, there stood as a wide receiver's coach some of the fruit of my ministry from 12 plus years ago. Had no clue. And one of the things I get the privilege of doing is the longer God allows me to do ministry, the more I get to see fruit from years of labor. David Brainerd didn't get the privilege of seeing 12 years worth of ministry fruit. He saw fruit, yes. But he didn't get the privilege of 12 years of ministry fruit. He got to see four years of ministry fruit. And the life of Brainerd isn't gauged by how much he did. The life of Brainerd is gauged by how he lived it. And one of the things we see from his life is he exemplifies perseverance. He exemplifies the kingdom characteristic of perseverance. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that those who persevere to the end will be saved, not those who turn around and leave when it's hard. Perseverance is a dominant characteristic of those who are truly transformed. We don't follow Jesus when it's good, and when it stinks, we turn around and go somewhere else. That's evidence of a non-converted heart. But David Brainerd, in the midst of measles, tuberculosis, and pain, and bleeding, and difficulty, and cold, and hardship, stayed the course because of Christ who was better. And so therefore, it's not what we do or accomplish that determines greatness, but it's how we live with God's principles. Brainerd maintained theological soundness. His difficulty didn't hit, tempt him to turn to some doctrine of demons. He didn't turn around and believe things that were untrue. The hardship of life didn't tempt him to embrace something different. But he held to the doctrine of Christ firm until the day he died. Theological soundness. He exemplified this characteristic, to live with all one's might while they live. I don't think Brainerd took time off. Now, I'm not saying we don't need vacations. Amen? We need them. Amen? Take vacations. That's not the point. The point is that he lived with every ounce he could muster while he lived. He took advantage of every moment. When he was incapacitated and could not move, he laid and rested. But when he could muster strength, he rose and he preached the gospel to those Indians who needed to hear about Christ. And oh, how often it's easy for us to get down because something besets us. I think we're soft. I think what we'll discover if we look at the lives of these great people is maybe a little hardness is good for us. Maybe we need to be hardened a tad. I know I do. But we need to live with all our might while we live. Take advantage of every moment. Take advantage of every moment. Let none pass. Another thing Brainerd teaches us is that short life can be as effectual as long life when spent pursuing God's kingdom and His righteousness. We must not assume that long life is fulfilling and short life is a tragedy. Oh, how tempting it is to say when someone who loves Jesus dies young, that it's a tragedy. No. It's part of the sovereign plan of God. There are no tragedies with God and His good providence. God is working history to His glory. And Brainerd's life is no exception. We think, oh, 29 years. I think, how glorious. 
He lived 29 full years to the glory of God. And I would say probably saw more fruit in four years of ministry than some pastors will ever see in 50. Because he put his nose to the grindstone and he worked hard for the kingdom and he did not give up and he persevered through trial. And God saved many through his life. I dare say... God is still doing ministry through the testimony of this dead man. His life was worth writing about. And so he teaches us that short life can be as effectual as long life. Short ministry can be as effectual as long ministry. Don't think because you have just a few years left that ministry is ineffectual. One of the great truths of the Bible is that God likes to take 80-year-olds and do ministry, i.e. Moses. Ministry doesn't stop or end because you are a certain age. God can take short seasons and do long ministry. So, byproduct of of Brainerd's life, keep in mind that you may have a short season, but that season empowered by God is effective and powerful, so take advantage of it. Use it for His glory. Don't retire. Amen? Uh Uh-oh. Quiet. Sorry. Um, Short ministry is as effectual as long. Spent pursuing God's kingdom and His righteousness. I think Brainerd teaches us that life and ministry difficulties serve homeward purposes of preparing us to inherit the kingdom. I want you to note here a long quote that I have for you regarding this point. Brainerd teaches that life and ministry difficulties serve homeward purposes of preparing us to inherit the kingdom. He says here, Such fatigues and hardships as these serve to wean me more from the earth. And I trust will make heaven the sweeter. Formerly, when I was thus exposed to cold, rain, etc., I was ready to please myself with the thoughts of enjoying a comfortable house, a warm fire, and other outward comforts. But now these have less place in my heart through the grace of God. And my eye is more to God for comfort. In this world I expect tribulation. And it does not now as formerly appear strange to me. I don't in such seasons of difficulty flatter myself that it will be better hereafter, but rather think how much worse it might be, how much greater trials others of God's children have endured, and how much greater are yet perhaps reserved for me. Blessed be God that He makes, or that He makes, and by the way, makes, and I put is there in your quote because makes is a 1700s way of saying is. Blessed be God that He is the comfort to me under my sharpest trials. And scarce ever lets these thoughts be attended with terror or melancholy, but that they are attended frequently with great joy. In other words, all of my difficulty and all of the difficult thoughts are not attended with melancholy or joy, but all of the difficulty is attended with thoughts of great joy. Why? Because we have to remember that this life is not all there is. We have to remember that we are pilgrims and this is not home. And that difficulty is part of sharing in Christ. I think it's real easy for us to get caught up in thinking that this life really is all there is. But what I want you to know is this life is very simply a piece. It's a parenthesis in salvation history. This earth and this time on this life is not intended for us to plant all we have in this. This isn't where we set up shop and expect to be forever. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches us in regard to this life, lay up treasure in heaven. Why? Because this is not all there is. And Brainerd could look at his difficulties, his life circumstances, and he could say that I can look at these tribulations with great joy because this isn't all there is. There is stored up for me something later. And this life, I'm just a pilgrim. We have a tendency to plant and build like this is all there is. We tip our hat to it in our vocabulary. And we use terms like ownership. Ownership is not a value of God's kingdom. 
We own nothing. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness thereof. We own nothing. This is not all there is to life. This is a short period in the history of eternity whereby we are to live as pilgrims passing through on our way to what is forever. And where we are going is to be with Christ and His exaltation forever. So lest you think we should gather all we can now, for we eat, drink, and we are to be merry, for tomorrow we die, I say to you, be converted and come to Christ. For this is not all there is. Jesus tells the story of a man in the Gospels who built bigger barns to store his crops because he had great abundance. And Jesus' response, you fool. Tonight your very life will be required of you. Brainerd's life teaches us that we can rejoice in our tribulations because we recognize this is not it. We are pilgrims passing through. Therefore, we can live lives that are crazy because this isn't all there is. We can live lives that put our flesh on the line because this isn't all there is. That's why Paul can say things, if I live, Christ. If I die, gain. Because this is not all there is. And Brainerd's life gloriously teaches us this. If we're to live as pilgrims, as Brainerd lived as a pilgrim, we have to learn that there are things we have to give up. There are things we have to let go. There are things we have to do in obedience. But nonetheless, his life teaches us these beautiful truths. Um, I want to end with this thought. Um, It's on your back of your page here. I added this this morning. As I got up uh, a little early, I added this point, and I just want to close with this because I think this is a, um, a good place for us to, to mark ourselves. It's number six on the back of your page. Brainerd teaches us that the conversion of the lost is the Lord's work as we are means in that work in our preaching and serving. Brainerd saw the conversion of many, but not at will, but as the Lord would move. Here, here's a quote. A, a man named Jeremy Lance puts this out there for us to see. Uh, he, this is the work of Jeremy Lance, and he is quoting David Brainerd. He says, My soul seemed to rely wholly upon God for success in the diligent and faithful use of means saw with greatest certainty that the arm of the Lord must be revealed for the help of these poor heathen if ever they were delivered from the bondage of the powers of darkness. Brainerd teaches us that the conversion of the loss is the Lord's work and we are means in that work. Let me translate that for you. We can't just walk out of here and make people believe, can we? If we could, we would have done that already, right? We can't make people believe. No matter how much we convince, if you've done any type of evangelism, if you've ever preached the gospel to any soul who needed to hear it, you know that you can't make people believe. It's a work of the Spirit of God to lift the veil of unbelief, to awaken a dead heart, and lift eyes to see Christ. One of the things he teaches us here, that we can't make that happen, At will, it is the Lord's work, but nonetheless, we are a means in that work. What's the point? We can't avoid means. We can't just take the mentality, it's the Lord's work, so I'm just going to be comfortable today. In other words, we have to be proclaimers of the gospel. It is through the proclamation of this message that God is pleased to save sinners. Which means it must be proclaimed. Thus, the beautiful reasoning of Romans 10, that there must be people who are sent, There must be people who preach because faith depends on hearing. And if they can't hear, then somebody needs to tell them. And then somebody needs to talk. And that means somebody needs to be sent. In other words, there have to be Christians preaching and living this message in front of lost eyes. We can't avoid means. We can't avoid preaching the gospel. We can't just walk out of here and go, 
poof and wiggle our nose. We must preach this message. And I want to say to us as Christians, this has been a theme of mine for a while. We have to get over the hump of strategy and start proclaiming Christ crucified to a lost world. There's an urgency about this message that Jesus left us with. Go out into the highways and the hedges, He said, and compel them to come in. And often we compel no one. We just go out and we hang. And what I want to say is, we must take seriously the fact that we are means in God's hands of this message getting in the ears of lost people. Christians, I charge you today in the name of Christ and by the example of David Brainerd, go away from here and preach this message to lost hearts, would you? This message that Christ has come and He's come in the flesh and He's dwelt among us and we've seen His glory and He went to the cross and was crucified for our sin. And He was buried and He rose the third day and ascended to heaven where He rules the nations and sent us with the message to preach this to the nations. And when the gospel goes to all nations, He's coming again to establish His kingdom and rule forever. And all those who are not in, He casts in the lake of fire. And those who are in, He brings in and we reign with Him forever. If you believe that as Brainerd did and it moved his life to go, would you go? Would you emulate his example? I don't mean you have to go as a full-time missionary, but you all have jobs. You have places and spheres of influence. You have a campus on which you are a student. Do not be satisfied with just simply being there. Open your mouth and preach Christ crucified, would you? And as we do that, we will see fruit like Brainerd saw fruit. I end you with a quote by my hero, George Mueller. I'd have to work him in one way or the other. Mueller says, Work with all your might, but trust not the least in your work. We are to be means. We are to preach, but do not trust in your preaching. Do not trust in your proclamation. Work with all your might. Give everything you have, but do not trust the least in your work. Trust in Christ, who is able to use us as means to His ends and save the lost. The life of David Brainerd. And there's so much more. That's just all I have time for. So what do we do with that? Here's what we do. We've got to act. We've got to act. Faith, biblically, is not just a mental trip. I told these 53 football players Friday afternoon when I was preaching the gospel to them, some of them never heard it before. Yes, in trying, never heard the gospel. You'd be shocked. There's some of you probably never heard the gospel before. We unpack the concept of faith. Faith is not a mental trip. Faith is not the assimilation of a set of facts. That we put our trust in these facts and all is done. Heaven's my home. I've averted hell. I'm good to go. It's not faith. Biblical faith, faith unpacked in Scripture, is the belief upon the person of Christ. There are facts we need to believe. Okay? But it is also... The truth that these these facts, this Jesus has worked His way down on the inside of our hearts and changed us so that these facts work their way out into our hands and feet. James says it like this, faith without works is dead. You cannot believe upon Jesus and do jack and be in His kingdom. Brainerd understood that. I don't think we do. And I say we overall as Christianity in North America. And I hope you've learned something in the life of David Brainerd. That if you have been converted by the gospel, there is a call upon your life. And that call looks like making disciples in his name. You've got to be about his business. That commission is to all of us. And Brainerd gives us some examples to emulate as we go. Will you do it? Will you be a Christian? Will you be a Christian? Will you be a Christian? Father,
I pray today um, that you would take my feeble attempt at trying to summarize this man's life in such a short period of time and all that he did, all that he did in his short life, his short ministry, his short time as a Christian. Father, I pray that um, right now in this room you would... um, Two things, Father. I pray that you would inspire the hearts of your people to emulate the life of David Brainerd. And there are so many more conclusions that can be drawn from his life, but I've just given a few. And I pray, Father, that you would use the resource of this man's life and the, uh, the stuff online for people to go and look at different uh, works of his, biographical works about his life, that you would use Brainerd's life as an inspiration to your people today to go and be Christians among the lost where they find themselves, wherever they are and whatever job they do. And then secondly today, Father, I pray that You would move upon the hearts of those who may not be converted to the faith. who for them, faith is just a mental trip and it's never worked its way into the hands and feet to to radical obedience. I pray today, Father, that You would move upon their heart and that the veil of religion that the enemy has before their eyes, the veil of unbelief and the message of Christ that the enemy has blinded them with, I pray that right now you by your spirit would lift that veil that they may see the light of the gospel of the glorious Jesus Christ who is God. And I pray that as a result of them seeing Christ, they would have a similar experience that Brainerd had where they would not see their escape from hell, but they would see the glory of Jesus Christ and forever be transformed. And as a good byproduct, gain heaven. I trust that you're doing that in a heart right now, Father. Father, I pray that as we come to respond to your work of grace in the life of one man, we are not responding to that man. We are responding to you who's worked in his life and has worked salvation in Him, and has sent Him with that message of the Gospel to the lost. I pray, Father, that as we see Your grace to Him, and as we experience Your grace to us, that our hearts would sing, and we would give great praise to You, for You are worthy. Worthy are You, Father. Worthy are You, King. Righteous are You, Lord. You are Master, Sovereign, King, transformer, sustainer, provider, healer, deliverer. You are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and honor and glory and dominion. Worthy are you, great Master. Worthy are you, King. Worthy are you, Creator. Receive the worship of your people for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ.